Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I am your host, Cameron Ivey, and today we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Fabiana Clemente. She is the co-founder and CDO for Y Data. Fabiana, welcome on the show. Hello, Karen. Thank you for hosting me today. Yeah, absolutely. We really appreciate your time and really excited to learn your backstory and a little more about why data and why privacy is so important. If you want to kind of start things off, uh, we would love to know more about you. So if you can kind of give us your story and background and how you got to why data and, and everything from there. Sure. Uh, so uh, a bit of background on myself. I think that's always fun and interesting to know. Uh, I am Portuguese uh, and I'm uh, born in a small but amazing island from Azores. So if you never had the chance to visit, I really advise you to do it. But I did all my studies and all my academia path in Lisbon. So basically that's my hometown for now and uh, the place where I feel comfortable. In terms of um, career, I've always been a, a science person. So as a bachelor, I've decided to take uh, a bachelor in applied maths. Well, uh, and during my course in applied maths, I had contact with uh, my first experience in the data area, doing data analysis and so on. So uh, that took me to, um, in terms of my profession, to really uh, go through that path and evolve myself in terms of uh, using data, working with data, exploring, taking insights from it and so on. Uh, so, and during that professional path, as I passed through enterprises and built telcos such as Vodafone, and then I moved to uh, startups and all of them as a data scientist, I always found issues around data. Uh, and the most of those issues were always related with privacy. So from bottlenecks of not having data to uh, achieve what was supposed to uh, in terms of business because there was too much regulation and too much uh, access requirements to have the data uh, to too much access to the data till the point mm -hmm. and you where someone was at a certain time of a day. So the fact that I found these issues and these challenges through my career led me to create Ydata along with my co-founder. Both of us, we, we have different backgrounds. So myself, I, have, I am a data scientist, but he has a computer science background, my, my co-founder in and in the last years, you have been managing data projects. So he also dealt with a lot of these issues that I felt, but on a different scale or a different level. Right. Uh, well, and that that was why we decided to 
uh, quit our jobs and start working on uh, Y data. So we believe that the access to data and the way data science teams and other teams in companies can access to data could be eased and more agile. And also at the same time being compliant with privacy regulations and not harming uh, the users or the customers of, of these big companies that are leveraging data. That's why we have uh, created a product that is around the use and generation of synthetic data. Got it. Thank you for going into that. Um, so when you hear the term data privacy and data security, how do you separate the two? What, what, do you, what comes to mind uh, with the two terms? How are they different? Mm. Okay, that's a very good question. I, I, I do believe they, they, they are a bit different in the sense mm -hmm. that um, when I think of data security, I'm thinking about the systems or the way the data is stored, where it's kept, who has access to it, uh, and so on. So mm -hmm. a, a lot of the things around um, the policies of how to access, who can access when, a lot of the, around the management of the infrastructures that you have and, and a lot of that. And when I think of data privacy, I, I think more on the data aspect itself. So uh, what information does hold the data? What, P, what PII data does, does it have? Mm -hmm. uh, can I share this? So I, I, although a lot of times uh, the data is secure internally, that doesn't mean that it's completely private uh, right. to be shared. No, that's at least my perspective on the, on the topic. Yeah, that's great. And I know you mentioned, uh, you know, with why data <clears throat> around synthetic data, can you, can you give me the difference uh, for the listeners? Can you give the difference between synthetic and real data OU? Yeah, sure. So in what concerns the difference while using synthetic data and real data? Um, well, I can say that synthetic data for the ones that are in data science field is not really a novelty. So it is a concept that has been around for, for some time. But generally, we can define synthetic data as any data set that can be, cannot be collected or was, is not derived from any real events. Um, and the, the benefits around it and how synthetic data can be used, for example, if I'm a user and I'm a developer, that's one of the examples and I need data to test my systems and test their behavior, I don't need production data or real data to, to do that. So I can use synthetic or mock data as a lot of uh, people know. But for example, in the scope of data science, that's a bit different. So uh, using mock data is not enough uh, because what we are looking into when doing or performing data science are the patterns within the real data and the behaviors and so on. And that usually that does not exist in mock data. At the level of the synthetic data that white data produces, our scope is really for data scientists. So our synthetic data, different from 
a lot of the MOOC data that exists, it allows data scientists to do exactly the same what they do with real data, but no longer using real events, real customers, or and so on. So this fake data contains uh, events that although do be have similar behavior as real ones, they do not exist. Hence, there is no issue around privacy or doing re-identification of the persons that are on those data sets. And that's the biggest difference between uh, what is the synthetic data that white data produces and, um, well, the use of real data and mock data. That makes a lot of sense. So how can a user have confidence in synthetic data? That's, that's a very good question because, well, like in everything, um, and, and I believe that privacy, it's a, a bit of, in terms of data, it's a bit of a, a trade-off. Mm-hmm. So the more private the data is or the more privacy or stronger the privacy is insured on the data, the less usability or utility that data has for um, analysis and, and so on. And one of that case, uh, and one very good case for that, was when Facebook uh, released um, a data set based on differential privacy. Mm-hmm. The privacy was so strong on, in that data set that researchers that received that data set uh, complained about uh, the quality of it. So nothing could be done with that data set because of such a strong privacy ensure there. Yeah. So in terms of uh, the synthetic data and as a trade-off, it depends how much privacy you want to ensure. And depending on that, you will have a more usable data set, let's say for, for another uh, practices or uh, a more private. But in general terms, a synthetic data uh, in terms of the results that returns, and if we can achieve uh, a nice trade-off between usability and privacy, which is the key, mm-hmm. it's pretty reliable to be still be used for machine learning, trace threat insights and so on and still ensure the, the, the end users and, well, company secrets uh, privacy. <laughs> That's good. So are there reasons for concern at all with using synthetic data? I guess there are some points that uh, people will always uh, think about. For example, one of them is uh, the bias, for example. That's that's one of the, the, the concerns that, People always ask. So, uh, if I have a, as this synthetic data is based on real data, still is based on real data. Yeah. And how can we ensure that, well, this synthetic data is not biased, or how can we process the bias? Uh, how can we ensure that um, the models, when, for example, the synthesizer models uh, are not just copying or really decorating uh, what is on the real data, those are concerns. 
terms of the overfitting to the real data, I think synthetic data is pretty secure and it's pretty strong. Uh, and one of the the best tools to ensure that you can do data science well while uh, ensuring privacy. But in terms of bias, that's not a so straightforward question in the sense that even when you are using real data, you are for data science or any other purposes, you are already dealing with uh, bias overall. So there are a few things that you can do um, and you can, and you are able to manipulate uh, data, uh, synthetic data to be less biased, let's say when compared to the, the real one, but that will highly depend on what you are doing and what you consider to be a biased data set. The bias can come from the data source itself. So <clears throat> what are your thoughts on how companies approach the, the process of getting started with AI ML and, and how compliant are they with privacy regulations? Well, uh, that's, that's a, a thing that, uh, at least in my perspective and in my professional experience, I've been uh, struggling with. Um, ML, machine learning, AI, it's a kind of a hot topic. For some years now, it's true. But the fact is a lot of companies are not yet um, ready uh, to really understand or be able to produce in-house uh, a stable and good machine learning solution. And because of many things, first, uh, there is a lack of education around the fact that AI and machine learning do depend a lot on um, the quality of the data that you have collected. So it doesn't matter if you have a lot of data for a lot of years, because if you didn't collect your data with a specific purpose, you might be either missing uh, information or not having anything that is useful for the, the use cases that you are dealing with. Uh, the other issue is related with the complexity of delivering a machine learning model or machine learning solution from an end-to-end -end perspective. It's really time consuming and involves a lot of different profiles to have it delivered. It's not just having one data science that will make you able to be successful in your development. You have to have a strong team, engineers, data scientists, data engineers, plus a good infrastructure to support your training and then the serving. And well, not forget that Machine learning and AI solutions are not cheap and forget. So they are there, but they can get outdated. So the results uh, through time can be less accurate, less good. You have to update them. All of this is a full life cycle of development that is highly complex and highly specialized. And a lot of companies don't understand that, or at least are not yet at the level. So they know they want to do something around this area. Uh, they start the projects, but a lot of those just fail because they um, 
lack the full vision of uh, and the full scope of developing an AI-based solution. So I'm curious, you mentioned uh, a little mm-hmm. bit back, you talked about differential privacy. And I know you've talked about this before um, on LinkedIn, social media and stuff. Can we dive a little bit more into that? We've talked about differential privacy on the podcast in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd love to know a little bit more if you have uh, anything more that you want to dig into uh, related to that topic and data privacy. Anything on sure. the articles that you posted? Sure. I, I, I think that differential privacy um, can be very useful um, to ensure or to have a stronger a stronger um, privacy, to be pro- more privacy compliant, let's say. So whenever you are building your dashboards, uh, you can have differential privacy to ensure that specific individuals that is very easy to be uh, identified are not, for example. But I see, and from my perspective, um, and from a perspective of a person that is developing the uh, synthetic data solution, where I see differential privacy to fit more, at least within my organization, is at the level of the models that we are building. So not applying it directly to the um, to the data itself, but rather to the model's weights that we are developing. That can be very handy when you are trying to, well, build a privacy solution and you want to ensure that your models, when attacked, do not leak any information about the data they saw. Right. And on, the, on that side, I think that differential privacy can really um, make a difference and, and be a, a game-changing, in my perspective. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about why data, the future of you know, the rest of 2020 and beyond, what, what your plans are? Uh, you don't have to dive too deep into it, but just an example to, to give the listeners an idea a little bit more on, on why data. Yeah, sure. So we, we work more. A typical white data customer, it's a, a big enterprise usually uh, there is, uh, that wants to leverage its own data, but due to the privacy constraints, is not able to either share it internally or externally. Um, this, there are a lot of industries that are highly regulated and for that reason, they are not able to fully uh, leverage their data. Those industries are, for example, banking, it's one of them, but also telcos and, for example, the energy and utility sector. It's uh, amazing how these companies um, somehow are struggling to handle uh, either their data internally or even with uh, third-party uh, companies to develop their, their solutions. And due to the fact that they are worried with um, the data privacy, they are not able to do anything. So we are helping them out to unlock uh, the use of that data. There is also some use cases where we are supporting some strategies and some uh initiatives of open innovation through open data. 
uh, I think that more and more companies are embracing that spirit. We we are definitely, it's a bit cheesy to say, but we are definitely starting a data economy mm-hmm. uh, where data is really important for everyone. And a lot of companies are already giving, um, starting to understand that they need to start sharing their data in order to even improve themselves by, uh, with data from others, for example. Yeah. So there are... Uh, uh, a lot of things where we can uh, help, but those are the main use cases. Okay. So, <clears throat> how have things been in these in these times um, during the the pandemic? How has it affected Y data compared to the rest of the world? Well, things have for sure uh, during the pandemic slowed down in terms of. Um, business things are what they are and many companies are uh, now dealing with the fact that they they want to recover from the the COVID-19 impact that's Mm -hmm. that's for sure but on the other hand uh, we also have experienced more uh, online activity which means that a lot of persons that before the COVID-19 did not have time for a meeting because usually they were pretty busy on their schedule. Mm-hmm. Although their schedule is still pretty busy, they are more open to have like 10 to 15 minute call through, through Zoom or any other video conference, which before didn't happen. And yeah. that is a, 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 um, that has been changing some of the context that we were able to do. Besides, with a lot of the things that have been happening around working remotely um, and the platforms that we are using, more and more uh, persons are concerned around privacy. Now, a lot of topics have uh, uh, have been developed around that. And I think that also ha- helped us um, to have uh, people more conscious about um, how they are handling data and so on. Yeah, it's a good answer. Um, I think I have a surprise co-host on here. His name is Diagonese. Not sure if he has any content or anything to share. Any questions? Uh, yes. Question about how to make your synthetic data resemble real-world data. Do you have a process you go for, through for that? Yeah, sure. Sure. So uh, one of the things that I mentioned is our synthetic data is based on the real data, which means that uh, to be able to really produce synthetic data that is good enough or looks like the real one, we have to learn with the real one. For that, we have a process based uh, on deep learning technology that allow us to learn the patterns, correlations, and how the real data looks in order to produce new synthetic data that has same qualities and capabilities. Thank you. Awesome. What kind of compliance do you have to deal with? So here in Europe, we have uh, a common law uh, that is applicable to all the European Mm -hmm. uh, countries. Uh, There is called GDPR. Mm-hmm. So, which means that I think from 2017 or 2018, 
yeah uh, a lot of uh, privacy constraints were uh, added to the use of data i think that is this kind of regulation is uh, can be compared to ccpa from california mm-hmm. yep. and i think there are other states in the united states that are jumping on yeah to, new york yeah, uh, new york privacy act is coming out too and the shield exactly. act mm-hmm. so i'll in, in here, we we are taking really serious on how the consumer data is being used in leverage. Of course, this goes from something so simple as using your email without your um, your consentment. Like, if you don't want to receive any emails from an external entity, mm-hmm. goes from there to the use of your data uh, by companies for other purpose than the ones that you agreed upon. So, for example, if you tell your customer that you are using its data just to send uh, them, I don't know, from a bank perspective, they are sending you just for to get your receipt or so your banking information, they are holding your data. But after all, they are also using your data to... Uh, extract other insights, but they don't tell you that's an issue, for example. So you as a consumer or an end user, you have to know where and for what your data is being used. So I think that was a major step uh, about concerns around data and how data is being handled. But I'm not sure if companies have already overcome the, the challenges imposed by these type of regulations. Yeah. I guess we can turn the page a little bit. What is your favorite snack? Chocolate. There is chocolate? no question there. <laughs> okay. Okay. Dark chocolate or what kind? Dark chocolate. Okay. The That's bitter, the better. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, favorite movie? Hmm. Let me see. Oh, I like one a lot. The Breakfast in Tiffany's. Oh, Breakfast. Okay. That's a good one. Very nice. <laughs> I think every girl likes a good time. <laughs> <laughs> What's the weirdest, strangest thing that you have come across during this pandemic or the the most positive thing? Well, the the most strange thing, and I still don't understand how that happened was the toilet paper situation. <laughs> okay, that I think everyone came across and that was global, I think. Yeah. And I still cannot understand how it turned out. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, usually it's kind of like that domino effect when I think so. people, yeah, <laughs> they over-exaggerate and then everybody else kind of jumps on thinking that... Uh, it might actually happen. That, that was the, the the weirdest. The <laughs> other one, and uh, on the bright side, I think although the social distance exists, let's say we are closer to each other because uh, well, these are hard times. So I think everyone now is more, um, well, ha- willing to help a neighbor or mm-hmm. uh, well to do something for the society. I think. Every one of us is doing, we are doing, each one of us are doing our part 
yeah. and helping overcoming this. So I think that's the, the bright side. That's a good point. Uh, you can definitely see more togetherness and coming together. And we're fortunate to have these platforms to, to be able to continue our, our yeah. work and, and to continue uh, staying in touch face-to-face um, yeah. with video chat and, and stuff like that. So yeah, great point. Um, is there anything that you would like to add before we wrap it up? Anything that we didn't talk about or go, go over? Anything you want to touch on or bring up? I don't think so. I think it okay. was a, a nice, uh, nice conversation. So yeah, we really appreciate you coming on, and just so happy to hear how many companies are <clears throat> putting privacy and data privacy at the forefront because it's here and it's only going to get stronger and stronger and 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 for us to spread the word and knowledge and to, uh, you know, build that community around data privacy um, and companies that are, you know, involved with it is so important for, for our listeners and for everyone that, that wants to learn more. So thank you so much for your time and for what you're doing. Oh, you know what? I have a good question, or at least I think it's a good question, but (laughs) (laughs) how do you, how does it make you feel um, being, being a woman in security and data privacy and, uh, being in this field, do you have any advice for for other women uh, wanting to get into this type of career, uh, whether it be data science or cybersecurity, d- data security, wh- whatever? I mean, do you have any good advice? Yeah, uh, sure. So it's still kind of weird, and, and and sometimes it's a bit difficult. You will be in, unfortunately, for some years as a technical founder, as I am, you will be a woman among men and that's that's a fact and a lot of times you will be you will have to work harder to have the same credibility as for example your co-founder if it's a man Uh, a lot of times when in events or meetings or something like like that uh, when there is a technical question about our solution everyone asks first for my co-founder and only after that they understand the technical person it's me uh and that's that it's kind of a the reality that exists yeah and that's hard because you know you are as capable as any other person but <laughs> you have to work harder that's a fact but overall it's worth it uh, very at least I'm passionate about my area and I do think that women shouldn't be afraid of getting into technology well it's just a work like any other and if you feel like it's your passion and you feel like if that's what you want to pursue you should for sure it's a very you can feel very rewarding um especially when you are a founder of course things are not easy all the time and sometimes you you feel overwhelmed but in the end it's always rewarding no matter what happens so if you are thinking whether you want to jump into a a new position a new kind of job or even to become a founder you should give it a try Otherwise, you will never know how the things will go. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, So, again, thank you so much for your time 
um, coming on the show. And is there anywhere that um, anyone can follow you on social media um, yeah. to stay up to date I, and everything? Yes. I have my LinkedIn and the Twitter profile. So I, it's pretty easy to, to, to find my Twitter. Yeah. I'll post it in the notes. Yes. Yeah. I'll post it in the notes for everyone if they want to jump on. So thank you so much. And hopefully we'll see you again soon. Hopefully. Thank you, Cameron. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Privacy Please. This podcast is brought to you by Spirion, protecting what matters most. Join us next week and every week as we delve into the intriguing world of security and privacy. You can email us at privacyplease at spirion.com and hit us up on our Twitter at privacyplspod. If you want to read more into these topics, check out our blogs on spirion.com. Again, I'm Cameron Ivey an all-around decent guy. Until next time.